Old man winter is here. Are your outdated windows ready? Renewal by Anderson, the winter window installation experts use Fibrex windows, which are two times stronger than vinyl and are watertight to keep winter's draft outside. Most installs can be completed within a day. Take advantage of our limited time offer and buy one replacement window or patio door, get one 40% off. Plus, no money down, no payments, and no interest for 12 months. Schedule your complimentary design consultation online at RenewalWindowsAlaska.com. Restrictions apply. You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Canadian Challenge Tales. We are joined today by Jim Cunningham from Colburn, Ontario. How are you doing today, Jim? Doing fantastic, Dan. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to talk to you about a different side of the race. You know, not from the musher perspective, but with your vast experience as a race marshal and and your role in the race and and how you tackle all of the different tasks involved with that. But before we do that, I want to jump into a little more about your start in, you know, dog sports and mushing. And I'd love to hear more about how you got started in mushing. Uh, It's your typical mushing musher story where you buy one dog and then you buy two dogs and well, if I get three dogs, I could run in the four dog race. And if I get six dogs, I can run in the six dog race. And if I get eight more, I could run in the 30 milers. And three years, all of a sudden you turn around and you got 32 dogs in your backyard and you're trying to figure out how that happened. So I raced for 18 years, uh, New England states, Quebec, Ontario, Michigan, Wisconsin. And I raced sprints, ski drawing, and mid-distance. And I finished off my career in 2005 at Dawson City, Yukon, at the International Federation of Sled Dog Sports World Championships. That sounds like quite a career on the runners. Is there a first race or one of the memorable ones early on that you can tell us about? My first race was in Marmara in the Six Dog six mile race it was actually seven miles um my team had never met another dog team and in marmara the course is out uh three and a half miles and a loop and you come back the same trail and so the first dog team my team met coming back in my team fanned out across the trail and thought oh we're gonna have a big party here with another dog team and caused that team to crash and the musher broke his sled. Uh, from then on, throughout that race on the Saturday, I stopped every time I seen the team and held my team off to the side of the trail. And when I finished the seven miles, it took me 52 minutes. And the only two people at the finish line was my father and the timer when I got to the finish line. Wow. Certainly uh, a memory. Um, is there a a particular race that stands out in your 18 year career that you think back on of, you know, that was the best one or that's the most memorable one. Um, probably uh, 2001 to 2003, I did six uh, mid distance races, 30 to um, 60 miles. And in the purebred category, which is what I ran in, um, I came first in all those six races in the purebred category so that at that time i had my top dog team and i was one of the uh, top mid-distance racers here in in this part of canada excellent so you talk about 
purebreds. Uh, what breed did you have? Uh, you know, were they dogs that you raised from puppy or did you get them from other kennels? Um, no, uh, I started out, like I said, with one dog doing dog shows in the Canadian Kennel Club. And uh, from there up, we got a couple more dogs. And once we had four dogs, we started raising our own litters. And they were all our own breedings and things like that. And uh, then we ended up with 32 dogs in the backyard. They were all Siberian Huskies. They were all registered with the Canadian Kennel Club. They weren't exactly the nice, nice cute looking Walt Disney Siberian Huskies. They looked a little bit different, but um, they were still pretty quick. Well, it certainly sounds like it. Is there a, a dog from that, those few years that stood out uh, above the rest? I used to have a 52-pound black and white Siberian Husky, and he ran wheel for me for almost seven years. And at one race, I got to the final checkpoint, and my team didn't want to leave the checkpoint. And I switched dogs, and I switched dogs, and I switched dogs, and I could not. And I finally got to, to the point where I went to the wheel dog and got Bonzo. I took him up. I put him on the front of the team. He dragged the team out of the checkpoint, and for the next 14 miles to the finish line, he never missed a G or a Ha command coming all the way back into the finish line. And I thought, you bugger, you've been on wheel for the last seven years watching those leaders up front, and every time I say G and Ha, you've been watching them turn. You could have been one of my wheel, one of my lead dogs. And uh, he ended up actually being the lead dog on my daughter's team when she raced. I just find it so incredible that just that example of a dog that wasn't in lead for whatever the reason might be, and when the need arises, they step up and and make a big impact like that. I, I just cannot get over how awesome these athletes are at doing something that they maybe weren't expected to do. Um, I've I've marshaled over a hundred races in my career so far and every race I go to, I find a dog in that race that is just an incredible animal. Um, the speed, the feet that he does, or, uh, what I've heard, what he's done out on the trail and stuff like that. And it, I just marvel at these animals. They are incredible athletes and it is just my pleasure to be the race marshal to be able to watch these guys run these teams. So you bring up the race marshal, and it seems like quite a quite an interesting job that you've taken on after you finished your racing career. Can you tell those that aren't uh, maybe familiar with races as much what that role is, what your job is at a race as the race marshal? So as the race marshal, um, once we start the vet check, or have the driver's meeting, at that time, the race becomes under my control. Um, I'm the only one that can disqualify a team. Um, I'm the only one that can assess a penalty to the teams. Um, I have to make sure that everybody abides by the rules and follows the rules throughout the race course. I try to get to as many checkpoints in the distance races as I can. I want to see teams coming in. And there's a lot of times that I'm watching teams coming in and I'll see a dog that's having problems or something like that. And it's my job to point it out to the veterinarians to make sure that that dog gets looked at while it's in the checkpoint and things like that. So I'm not just looking at the rules and enforcing the rules. I'm also looking at animal care. 
um, what the mushers look like, how the mushers are operating, whether they uh, might be sleep deprived and not doing the proper care for their dogs. That's all under my command to look at and assess as the race progresses. Oh, it's so exciting. And so I believe you've been uh, a holder of an international race marshal license since 2014, one of only eight in the world, which is incredible. And can you tell us a little about some of the other races that you've uh, been involved in around the world or, uh, you know, some a little excitement for the fans? So 2015, I was a race judge in Bristol, Quebec at the World Dryland Championships. Uh, 2017, I was a race judge in Halliburton, Ontario at the Sprint and Mid-Distance Championships. 2019, I went to the French Alps to be a judge at the uh, World Championships. And this year, in the end of January, I will be back in the French Alps as the head race marshal for the 2023 IFSS World Championships. So I will have uh, four judges that will be working underneath me and um, a crew of 12 veterinarians that I have to look after. And probably between 400 to 450 dog teams that will be leaving the line in the four days of competition. Oh, it's such a large event. And how do you transition some of the your experience from smaller races with less teams like you do here at the Canadian Challenge versus these very large events with hundreds of dog teams? The, the sprint races that I'm going to uh, in January will have a team leave the line about every 30 seconds depending on the category. Some leave in minute intervals, but some of them, because we have so many teams, they leave every 30 seconds from the starting line. Um, those sprint races are all electronically timed with timing chips and uh, starting lines and finish lines that are all electronic and everything's done um, electronically. And some of these races are held at ski resorts uh, that have hosted Olympics and things like that. So when the dog teams actually come across the line, the musher can turn and look up at a huge scoreboard and they can actually see their runtime for, uh, for their race that day and be able to evaluate how the team's made out. So we're very, very busy uh, from 7 in the morning until 6 o'clock at night. And in the sprint races, you have the right to put in a protest if there's something in the rules that you think was violated by yourself or by another musher. And at the end of the day, it's my job along with the judges to go through each one of the protests and determine whether there will be a uh, time penalty or a disqualification uh, based on the protest and based on the interviews that we have to do. So even though the races are done at six o'clock at night, there's some nights where it's midnight or one o'clock in the morning before we get to bed to uh, go through all the protests and things like that. And then we've got to be back on site at six o'clock the next morning. So it's very stressful, the same as, as distance racing, just uh, I do get a little bit more sleep at sprints than I do at distance racing. Well, and you've been a part of the Canadian Challenge in the past, I believe 2017 and 2018. Can you tell us a little about those races, if you can remember 
Uh, anything from those? Um, the Canadian Challenge has always been on my bucket list. So when I got the call in 2017, I was ecstatic to be invited to the Canadian Challenge. And uh, it's a fantastic race. The organizers, um, all the checkpoint people, the veterinarians, everybody's very professional about their jobs and what they do and, and things like that. And um, I always have a great time at the Canadian Challenge. I always look forward to hopefully being invited back every year. And uh, unfortunately, last year I couldn't get back uh, because I had to go to Scandinavia for three world championship races uh, at the same time as the Canadian Challenge was on. So I was I was kind of depressed a little bit that I didn't get to go to the Challenge last year. But I hear that it was a, a good race. So I'm looking forward to coming back again this year. Yeah, we certainly had a lot of fun you know, last year with, you know, the 21, we were off due to COVID and, and 22, there was a real strong presence. And we really introduced a slightly different approach to the race and the trail. So it really took on a more of a two day event for the eight dog, uh, you know, 50 miles a day type event and shifted the focus from everybody leaving the start at the same time to trying to get everybody to finish at the same time, which is certainly a challenge on the distance side. Have you had any experience with more of a stage style race in combination with a mid distance event? Um, the, the uh, sprint races that I go to for the international federation, they have the mid distance races on at the same time. So the mid distance races are usually 25 to 30 kilometers long and they run three days in a row so it's like a stage race in the mid-distance championships it's not one uh continual race like we have here in north america for mid and long distance um they 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 have a little bit different setup for their for their mid-distance races over there so i've had lots of exposure for stage racing uh and then then that type of racing along with the long distance races also Excellent. So you've been around dog mushing uh, for quite some time, I think 1997. So it's about 25 years now. Is there any particular change that you've seen in the sport from how it was in 97 to how it is today, whether that's sprint or or mid-distance? The dog breeds have changed. Um, There's definitely more hound mixtures in with the breeds now than what there was back in the in the mid 90s um the speed has picked up um the equipment that the mushers use nowadays is way different than what we used i mean we had sleds but they were ash uh sled wooden sleds um nearing the end of my racing career we started getting into toboggan sleds and and sleds with cabooses on the back and things like that. But yeah, the the harnesses on the dogs haven't really changed that much. The gang lines are the same, but the sleds, the snow hooks, the new snow hooks that they have out, the critter hooks and things like that, that are more stable in the snow, big advantage to to nowadays compared to back then. Um, But basically it, it comes down to the musher and how he runs his team, how he treats his team, and and what kind of conditioning he's got on his team, and that'll determine how well he does in the race. 
So it's it's the same basic thing as back in the nineties. Right. So would you have any advice for someone that's either just getting started into it or starting with racing? Any, any advice or suggestions you can have for them to be successful or to 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 do well at uh, at races and fall within the the rules and get along and make it a a, a lengthy career as you've done. Um, just if you're interested in dog sledding, first thing you do is come out and see a race or offer to volunteer at a race or offer to handle for somebody and and see what it's all about and see how much care it takes for these animals and how much maintenance for the equipment and things like that and then once you've got familiarized yourself with dogs and dog care and things like that then then start buying your dogs go to an experienced musher and buy an experienced dog that's going to teach you how to mush dogs as much as you're going to uh, teach that dog how to mush dogs. And after about four or five years of collecting dogs, you're going to have a whole backyard full of dogs and, and end up traveling quite a bit in order to get to the races that you want to do. And just set your goals every year to go to three or four races. And uh, hopefully you get there and you're successful. Number one thing is finish the race. Just do what you have to do to get your team to the finish line and in good shape and looking good. But don't worry when you're starting out about trying to be in the top 10 or something like that. Just finish the race. Have fun with your dogs and have a fun experience. Well, I always tell people that are curious about it that you just have to go and see it, whether that's a dog team hooking up in a dog yard or a dog team going out for a race, watching how excited these athletes are to go out and run and have fun because that's why they're doing it. They're not doing it because anyone's forcing them into it. They're doing it because they enjoy it. And seeing that, it feels so contagious. It's just, it makes you want to be part of it. And maybe that's the the reason why so many people get uh, involved in the sport and, and then get heavily involved, it, it's just hard to beat that feeling of watching a dog team get excited about going. Has that been your experience? Yeah. Uh, being at, being at the races and, and seeing people first year, they'll come up and ask you questions and you answer their questions for them and, and tell them where to go and stand, where the best vantage points are to see the race and things like that. And like you said, it's like a fever. They they start watching the dogs and how excited they are to run and how they how much power is in a dog team. It's incredible the amount of power in an in a eight or a ten dog dog team and how much they can actually pull and move when they all work together. And watching that group of animals work as a team and move that sled down the trail from checkpoint to checkpoint or in a sprint race how fast they come back into the finish line after they've done the course and things like that. It's incredible to watch these dogs and then how happy they are at the finish line. You're just tails are wagging and, and ears are up and they're smiling and eyes are bright and they're just like, okay, where are we going now? Where are we going now? And, and to see that in a dog is, is incredible to be able to witness it every year. Yeah. So anybody out there that's interested in mushing or dog sports at all, some fantastic advice from Jim. 
go to a race, volunteer to race, go to a dog kennel, reach out to your local musher. There's lots of resources out there, whether that's for racing or recreation, just to have some fun, one dog up to as many as you like. There's there's certainly some options out there. Uh, I just want to talk a little more about what you might have going this year, Jim, before we close out. I know you talked about going to France in January in the Alps. That sounds incredible. Uh, and I know you're coming to the Canadian Challenge. Are there other races you're uh, scheduled to look after this year? Um, yeah, my schedule this year is not quite full, but pretty close. Um, I've got uh, the 21st of January, I take off and, and head to France. I come back from France, um, home for a weekend, and then I have to go to Kearney, Ontario, and do their sprint races. And then I get a weekend off, and then I'll be. Uh, in Prince Albert for the Canadian Challenge, and then I come home. I've got a weekend off, and then I have another sprint race here in Ontario, and then I have a weekend off, and then I'll be heading to Churchill, Manitoba for the Hudson's Bay Quest, and that will be um, pretty well my winter season here in the north. And last year when I finished the racing season here in the north, five weeks later I was down in Chile doing the um latin american dryland championships so um i'm not once the winter's done here in the north that doesn't mean that i'm necessarily done i end up traveling all over the world to the southern hemisphere and places like that doing dryland races and and races on snow at other locations in the southern hemisphere through the through our summertime Okay, so for anybody that's not familiar with dryland, can you give them a very brief overview of what that is? Dryland racing is what we used to call training our dogs in the fall for snow racing. Um, mushers have now taken dogs, and they have uh, what we call mono sports or bi sports, which is one or two dogs. So you can have one dog pull you on a mountain bike, or one dog pull you on a scooter. Um, you can do canny cross, which is where you have one dog attached to a belt around your waist and you run behind the dog for a certain distance. And then there are four dogs, six dog and eight dog rigs, which are four wheeled carts with disc brakes and steering systems that we have races for also. And it's all on dirt and it's becoming a very, very popular sport uh, around the world because now you can have dog sled races in Mexico and Brazil and Argentina and and uh, places like that that we never had dog sled races before because um, they, they don't have snow. Now we have dry land races, which is on dirt, so they can have them in the mountains in Mexico or the mountains in Chile and places like that. So how do they manage the heat? Because I know most of the dogs that are running are built more for the colder climate, but how do they manage some of the heat? These places like Mexico don't sound like cool places to run dogs. I mean, in terms of temperature. It, yeah. That's the first impression everybody gets when, when you say I'm going to Mexico, when you go through us customs and you tell them that you're going to Mexico for a sled dog race, they give you a really weird look. And then once you pull out the video and show them dry land racing, they go, Oh, okay. I understand. A lot of the races, are uh, up in the mountains and in the foothills and stuff like that. So most of the time in the middle of the day, 
we're at 14, 15 degrees Celsius, which is fine for running sled dogs short distances on dry land. So yeah, we have races all over the world now on dry land racing. Oh, that's exciting. It's just another sport that you can use, another avenue for exercising your dog, having fun with your dog and continuing to build that bond, whether it's uh, any variety of the dry land sports that Jim has mentioned or any of the sled skidoring options that we have here in the snow. Um, one of the items we always talk about with mushers is that it takes a whole team of not just dogs, but people to make this happen. And so I like to give them the opportunity to thank anyone that's been out there, but I want to give you the same chance. Is there someone maybe not necessarily that helps you do race marshalling, but maybe somebody that helped you along the way, a mentor that you had or somebody that taught you um, something and helped your career? It's not really a mentor. Um, it was my father. Uh, he was my best, I, I call him my best friend. Um, he drove me to every race that I went to and he drove me home from every race that I went to. That included races in Labrador, Maine, places like that where I would be exhausted at the end of the race and he would drive for 20 hours to get us back home after the race. Um, he was an incredible guy. He was there for every one of my races. And like I said, my first race, he was still at the finish line after 52 minutes waiting for me to come into the race. So um, that was one guy that was very, very um, predominant in my racing career. And uh, another gentleman, his name was Spencer Threw from New York, uh, was one of the guys that I bought my first dogs off of. And I handled for him in many distance racing and things like that. And I learned a lot from him when I was first getting started in my sled dog career. Excellent. Well, I really want to thank you for joining. I know we're very excited to have you a part of the Canadian Challenge this year. Your expertise, not just in distance racing but around the world and your dog care whatnot comes as a real big asset for us and so we're very excited to have you at the canadian challenge is there anything about the race that you are really looking forward to coming back it's been a few years since you've been with us um i'm excited to come back and see everybody at the challenge again all the all the vets and and organizers and and see some of the racers that i haven't seen in a few years uh, because of COVID, um, I'm, I'm excited to get back out on the trail and see everybody and see their dogs and, and watch them progress through the, through the races. It's a, it's a great race. I, I love the challenge and I try to promote it wherever I'm going uh, to mushers to come and, and, and take the challenge and see whether or not they can finish the, the races up in, in Saskatchewan. Well, I really appreciate your time, you know, chatting with me tonight and, you know, sharing some of that behind the scenes look at what happens behind a race. So, you know, to anybody that's interested in coming out to see the Canadian Challenge, you can find us at CanadianChallenge.com. We also have uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, in case you want to follow us along. If anybody wants to come and volunteer or help out or work side by side with any of our race personnel on trying to make this wonderful race happen, we would be happy to have you. Uh, any closing uh, words for the fans, Jim? Um, don't be afraid to come up and ask me questions. Um, I'll be the guy walking around with a black anorak with patches from all over the world and a big Timberwolf hat on. So 
please, if you've got questions or want to know some information, don't hesitate to come up and ask me. I'd be more than happy to talk to anybody about dog sledding. Well, that's usually the case with anybody that's been involved with the sport for so long. Again, I, I thank you so much for your time and really looking forward to having you with us in February. Uh, for uh, any of our fans tonight uh, on, the, on the podcast, appreciate you listening. Uh, in connection with Dogverse Radio, we're happy to be able to offer you some of this inside information on the race. Until next time, thanks and goodbye. From First Paw Media, this is Canadian Challenge Tales. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you would give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe too. Your host is Dan Kirkup. Our executive producer is Robert Forto, created for First Paw Media. It's the people in your house that make it a home. Protect what's most valuable to you by installing new custom energy-efficient windows and doors from Renewal by Anderson. With the nation's best warranty coverage, Renewal by Anderson is a better way to a better window. Take advantage of our limited-time offer and buy one replacement window or patio door, get one 40% off. Plus, no money down, no payments, and no interest for 12 months. Schedule your complimentary design consultation online at RenewalWindowsAlaska.com. Restrictions apply.